I will live in you and walk with you. So set yourselves apart. I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters. All right, you can turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, I'm just going to start there and uh, it's the most important part of this message, I think, is, is in Romans 8. You know, so this series is about our identity, you know, that we belong to God, that He's our, our Father. We, we call Him uh, Daddy. That's what Romans 8 tells us. And, um, and so it's about identity and that we're sons and daughters. But when I think about that, I also think about the fact that we all have identity issues. We all do. And they can, identity issues can, can come in different ways. But, but if you look even back into your childhood, you'll see and remember issues that you had with knowing who you were. And uh, it could be because people said things to you. I, I don't know, but I was thinking about my own life. You know, I had, um, you know, some identity issues that, that were a result of, of, of moving a lot. And so when I was five years old, about two, two weeks after my fifth birthday, our family moved from England to, um, to America. And, and so I remember even as a four-year-old, I remember we were talking about this for about a year. My dad was working on... On, on us immigrating to America. And for about a year, we were preparing for that, and he was, we would talk at the dinner table about how to say things the American way. And I, I still remember this, even as a, a four-year-old, it's still really in my memory, you know, because it was such a big event. But I remember practicing how to say tomato. And, uh, and, and instead of saying tomato sauce, we would say, you know, tomato and ketchup and and, uh, and then we, we would pra- I would practice, I'm four years old, I would practice saying chips instead of crisps and, and, uh, and, you know, instead of chips, french fries. And so we were just preparing for this move. And so at five years old, we, we moved from, from England to, to Tulsa, Oklahoma. So I'm, I, I, as a five-year-old, I'm, you know, I'm an immigrant now with a strange accent in school with, with people and and then when uh, I was 11, we moved back to England. And so then, you know, so then I had an American accent, uh, an American 11-year-old, and then they moved us back to, to England. And so now I'm not English, now I'm American. And living in, in, uh, in England with an American accent, which it took a little while to change, and then so I had to relearn everything, you know, and call things crisps and say words like yogurt and whatever else. You know, they, they say there, and so, and then when I was 18 years old, I felt like the Lord was calling me to, to move back to, to America, and, and uh, he made it possible, so I came back on my own at 18 years old. I, I immigrated back to, to America, and, and so now I, I come back to America the second time with an English accent, and uh, so my accent has, has changed that many times, and in fact, even today, if, I, if I'm talking to my uncle in, in Scotland, I can just, it, my accent will just change. I can... I can I can, I, I probably sound American to him, but to you I would sound Scottish. It's just a strange part of growing up in two countries, you know, but, but I can't deny the fact that there were some identity issues there. Are you English or American? Well, I'm both. I really am both, and, but I chose to be an American. I, at 18 years old, I decided to, to move here. And um, listen, I I'm really didn't plan on saying anything about immigration. I will tell you, though, as an immigrant, I chose this country, and I sound American because my heart 
wanted to be American. Does that make sense? I look, I'm not really being political with you. I'm just being, being personal. What is it, what is it like to, to, to be an immigrant? I'm telling you, it is when you want to be something. And, and I will never get over how grateful I am to be in this nation all these years later. Still so thankful that God would make that happen for me. And so, listen, I remember when I was 18 years old, I had to go to the American Embassy in London, and there were hundreds of people trying to get in, hundreds of people. And I had a, a letter that gave me permission to, uh, to, to go into the American Embassy, and my dad helped me fight through a couple of hundred people just to, just to squeeze through the door by the security guards to, to, because I had an interview with, uh, with immigration officials. This was uh, 1990. And I'll never forget knowing that, that I was going to get to come and these hundreds of people on the outside who wanted so desperately to come to our country. And um, listen, I, I, I would say that I went through something of an interrogation in that building at the age of 18 because they were trying to make sure that it was all about making sure I wasn't a communist. Seriously. You know why they did that? To make sure that I was safe. They did it to make sure that I was safe. And um, so listen, I, I don't know about politics, but I know my personal experience is that the Lord made a way for me to come here and I'm grateful. And we should be grateful for our nation. So I, I do think we should just pray for a minute, right? Father, we just lift up America to you, God, and we thank you for all the amazing things that you've done. God, we pray for peace in our land. We pray for safety in our land. God, we pray for wisdom for our leaders, protection, God, around our leaders. Whatever party they're in, God, we pray for your blessing on our leaders. And God, we pray that America will do everything that you've called us to do, that we will continue to reach the nations for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God, the next generation, we speak blessing over them. God, that they will be blessed and they'll live in a land of promise and a land of opportunity and a land of blessing. And God, let our hearts be true to this nation that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. So like, I didn't really plan that. I really want to talk to you about identity. You know, there, there, you have identity issues. I have identity issues. But this, this series is about listening to God, our Father, and understanding who we are in Christ. And, that, and that's what I see in, in Romans. I see it in Romans uh, chapter 8, that we are sons and daughters. Verse 14, for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now, can I just point something out to you? To, to know God in a way that, that you're willing to be led by Him, to, to be in such a close personal relationship, there, there are three questions that have to be answered about His character and about who He is to you. And th those three questions are, is He safe? Is He faithful? And is He for you? And if you'll just think about this in terms of any relationship in your life, that's what you want to know about people. Before you can open your heart to somebody, you need to know, are they safe? Is this a safe person? And you need to know, are they faithful? Are they going to stay with me or are they going to leave me? 
And then the third thing is, are they for me? Even in a, in a, in a human relationship, is this relationship about me or just you? Because we've all been in relationships that were not safe, that, that people were not faithful, and that they weren't for us. They were only about themselves, right? So we all have those questions about relationships. So even, all through the Bible, God is trying to prove to people that he's safe, that he's faithful, and that he's for them. When he brings the, the people out of Egypt and they go on this journey to the promised land, that's what he's trying to prove to them because they've been slaves for hundreds of years and so they don't think God is safe. They don't think he's faithful and, and they're not sure he's for them. In fact, they say to Moses, God's going to kill us. After all the miracles that he did for them, they don't even believe that he's, that he's safe. And so the journey from Egypt to the promised land was only supposed to take a short time, and it was supposed to be about God proving to them how he was a good father. You're on the same journey to find out how faithful he is in your life and how good he is in your life. And he wants you to know that. And he does good things for us all the time, but... He wants us to be sons and daughters. As many are as led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Now this is what they were like in Egypt. They were slaves. They were mistreated. They were abused. And so he says, you didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption. Now, now notice spirit is a capital S. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption. He is the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out through, through our relationship with God by, because the Holy Spirit is in us. We are, that's how we know who we are. And we cry out, Abba, which means Daddy. It's personal, close. He's, he's very close to us. It says in verse 16, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. It's the Holy Spirit in us when we get saved that he, he's always talking to you about how you are a son or daughter of God and how much God loves you always talking to you that's that's what he does and since we are his children we are his heirs in fact together with Christ we are heirs of God's glory now let me go back to verse 15 and let me talk to you about this for a second it says you didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear all fear is 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 the spirit of bondage, all fear. Now look, we worry about stuff and, 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 and worry and fear connected, but, but if, if, you, if you are just in constant chronic worry and anxiety, that's the spirit of fear. God doesn't want us to serve fear. In fact, fear comes from the devil. All fear comes from the devil. He's the author of all of it. And in John 8... Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, the spiritual leaders who, who were accusing him of, of being somebody he was not. They, they were accusing him. And Jesus speaks to them. These are religious people, not believers, but they're religious people. And he com confronts them. And Jesus told them, if God were your father, you would love me because I've come to you from God. I'm not here on my own, but he sent me. Why can't you understand what I'm saying? It's because you can't even hear me. For you are the children, look at this, of your father, the devil. 
your father the devil, and you love to do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, it's consistent with his character, for he's a liar and the father of lies. So when I tell the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. Which of you truthfully can, can truthfully accuse me of sin? And since I'm telling you the truth, why don't you believe me? Anyone who belongs to God listens gladly to the words of God, but you don't listen because you don't belong to God. So Jesus is telling us, look, in the world there are two fathers. There's our Heavenly Father who loves us, who sent His Son to die for us, and then there is this other father, the father of lies, that's the devil. And He tells these religious people that are attacking Jesus, that's your father. That's your father. So listen, church, when we're born again, we, we get a new dad. We get a new father. And he doesn't drive us with fear. You know who drives us with fear? The devil. He's the father of lies. He's the author of fear. What happened last night in London? They're serving the wrong father. Listen to me. They can call him God, but he is not God. They can call him by whatever name they make up. He is not God. Allah is not God. It's just another name for this father, the father of lies, the murderer from the beginning. So I'm telling you, this is very important because all through the world today, people are either serving our Heavenly Father or they're serving the father of lies. And whatever name they call him, that's who he is. But we have rights because we've been adopted. Our rights as adopted sons and daughters. Write these down. These are in your notes. I love this first one. Our old father has lost all rights to us. The day we accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior was the day the devil lost all rights to us. He cannot abuse us anymore. Listen, I know that we, we live in a, in, a, in a fallen world. We live in a world and we fight spiritual battles. But I just don't give the devil credit for anything. I don't give him credit for anything bad that happens to me because he's lost all rights to me. So I just talk about all the good things that God has done for me and I pray and ask God to bless me and I know there's a battle, but he's lost all rights to me. And my life belongs to my Heavenly Father. I'm an adopted son. The second thing is that we are legal heirs to everything our Father owns. And he owns everything. So I'm a legal heir of everything in this world today. And I can ask him for blessing, and I can ask him for health, and I can ask him for friends, and I can ask him for strength. And then one day when we go to heaven, we're, I don't even know what we're going to receive. It's going to be so much. But even today, on this earth today, we, we are legal heirs. Romans 8, 17 says, since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we're heirs of God's glory. Number three, our old lives are totally erased. Totally erased. Every mistake, every sin, it's all completely gone. Our old lives, when, when we are born again, when we invite the Lord Jesus into our hearts, all that old stuff, is, it's all gone. And we have a brand new life. And number four, the law 
The Word of God protects our rights as sons and daughters. That's why all through the Bible you'll find promises. Every promise in the Bible belongs to you. Every single promise. You qualify for every promise in the Bible because you're a born-again son or daughter of God. And so the law protects our rights as sons and daughters. Now, I want to show you something interesting in, in Luke 12. It says, don't seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. So Jesus is talking about fear. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Don't fear. Don't fear, little flock. Look at this. It is your Father's good pleasure. What does He love to do? To give you the kingdom. That's what He loves to do. He loves to give you good things. All through the Bible, he talks and says, I'm a good father to you. I love you. I've got good things in store for you. He says it's his good pleasure. It's what he loves to do to give us the kingdom. But listen, we have these fear issues that we have to deal with. We've got to, we've got to receive this spirit of adoption. He says in 33, Sell what you have and give alms. Provide yourself money bags which do not grow old, a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. So here's, here's the fact. Fear is an identity issue. Worry is an identity issue. You can either live in bondage to fear, slavery to fear, or we can live in freedom through the spirit of adoption. Spirit of adoption is so important. To look at your future and know that God is going to take care of you. And that he's going to be a good father to you. And, and Jesus deals with fear all through the Bible. If you look at eight, Romans 8, 15 again, it says, But you received the spirit of adoption. Look, I know Christians, though, born-again believers, they, that, that have not gotten this yet. They still live their lives in fear and worry. But the spirit of adoption is the answer because if you know that you're an adopted son with all the rights of a son or daughter, you don't live in fear. Let me show you this. In Matthew 16, Jesus deals with the spirit of fear in Peter, one of his disciples, here in Matthew 16. It says, From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, to confront him, and tell him off, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall not happen to you. Now, I know this is an amazing scripture. I mean, how did, how, how did Peter rebuke the Lord? It, it, it was fear. He was afraid of losing him. He was afraid of Jesus being killed and losing his friend. And so Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Peter. Get behind me, Satan. Do you see this, church? He, the, the fear that is coming out of Peter's heart is from the devil. And Jesus knows this, and so the person he rebukes is Satan. I know for a fact that I have said things in fear that did not come from God. I know I have. And you have too. 
Because the devil's the author of all fear in our lives. So he says to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me, for you're not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Now in John 13, you see Peter's issue, what his heart issue is. Because Jesus says, Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You'll seek me. And as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you can't come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. And Simon Peter said to him, because he's afraid of losing him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered him, where I'm going, you can't follow right now, but you'll follow afterwards. And Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for your sake. Well, you know he didn't do that, right? He denied Jesus three times. But what I see in this passage is the fear in his heart about losing Jesus. So in the next chapter, Jesus deals with it in in John 14. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments, and I'll pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, capital H. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. He's talking about Jesus is going to heaven, but he's going to send the Holy Spirit to live in us, that he may live, abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I'll come to you. Now, church, listen to me. This spirit of adoption that I'm talking about is the Holy Spirit. And when you know that, you won't live as an orphan. There's an orphan spirit in the world. It's it's the spirit on a person who doesn't understand that they have a father that's taking care of them. And you don't have to live with that. It's the same as the spirit of fear and slavery. And so I made a a list of of things that that I see, signs of an orphan spirit that have have been in me and have been in people that I know. I think they're really obvious. So, So just listen to this list, okay? This is signs of an orphan spirit. First one, obviously, is fear. Worry and anxiety all the time. You don't have to worry. You have a heavenly father. The second one is performance-based living, which is where you're always trying to earn, you're always trying to deserve anything good. And so when you come to God, you think that it's about, how, it's about your behavior today. That's performance-based. You know, I, when I think about this, I think about, look, if you go into a, a neighbor's house or a stranger's house for the first time, you don't just walk straight up to the refrigerator and help yourself. Do you? <laughs> okay. <laughs> you don't do that. You, you wait until somebody offers something. But your kids, they don't ask permission to open the refrigerator. Do they? They just help themselves. In fact, my kids, they, they, don't, they don't ask permission to eat the last chocolate chip cookie. They just eat it. And they don't ask, have I been good enough? Dad, have I been good enough to eat this last chocolate chip cookie today? They don't ask that. They just eat it. Do you understand? In, in a performance-based mentality, never feel like God's going to give us what we want because we don't think we deserve it. But that's not how fathers act. Fathers let you have the last chocolate chip cookie. 
whether you deserve it or not. Number three is a controlling nature. An orphan spirit is a controlling nature because you feel like you're on your own, so you have to control everything around you. People, circumstances, everything has to be controlled. Number four is insecurity, just feeling like people are going to leave you. But God has promised to never leave us and never turn his heart from us. Number five is suspicious of authority. Not being able to trust authority. Number six is a, is a fake personality because you have to act a certain way to be accepted. We're not like that here. If you're new to victory, we, we're, we don't, we're not like that. We, we just like to be ourselves. We, we don't put on religious mannerisms. We just, we just want to be real people. And then number seven is materialism because you put your security in money and things. And all through Matthew 6, Jesus has said, don't put your security in money. God will give you what you need. And then number eight is negative and fatalistic mindsets. But listen to me, church. Sons and daughters expect something good to happen every day. Doesn't mean that bad things don't happen to me. Doesn't mean that I don't go through battles and struggles. But even in the middle of a battle, I expect something good to happen. Every single day, something good is going to happen. And then number nine is jealousy, which is, you know, being afraid of losing your position in relationship with somebody. These are, these are signs of, of an orphan spirit. And they're issues that we deal with, and that's why we need the spirit of adoption to come and heal us so we can live in freedom. So how, how to live in the spirit of adoption? Write these down with me. How to live in the spirit of adoption. Number one, be born again. Get rid of that old father, the devil, who fills your heart with fear and serve your heavenly father who fills your heart with love. Be born again. Become a new person through accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Number two, receive the Holy Spirit. When you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you, but just recognize that and ask for him to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. Receive everything that he has for you. Make him your partner in life. Receive the Holy Spirit. Talk to him. And number three, believe. Believe the love of the Father. Now, I, I realize I'm not telling you to do something here, so let me explain what I mean. When I say believe, that this is how I know if I believe something. If there's something in the Bible, if I believe it, then I do it. The difference between knowing what's in the Bible and believing what's in the Bible. I can know what's in the Bible, but listen, church, until I do it, I don't really believe it. If I believe it, I do it. So believe the love of the Father. So, so what does that mean? I put some thought into this. First John 4 says, Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And we have known and believed the love of God, the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. So how do we know that we believe the love of the Father? Here's the answer. We make decisions based on his love for us. So I don't make decisions based on fear. I make decisions based on God's love. That's how I know. That's how I know that I believe. So I want us to, to make a confession together. Now listen, if you're visiting with us, a lot of times I close a message with a confession. The reason is that when we say something with our mouths, 
our heart believes it. You can listen to me tell you something, but your heart will not believe me as much as your heart will believe you. So it's really important to speak the word out loud. So that's why sometimes I write these confessions for us to say together. So I want you to say this with me, not after me, okay? Let's say it together. Either look here if you need to look up on the screen. Look there, but say it with me. Say this, say, we are sons and daughters of God. We are in the family to stay. We will not live in the spirit of slavery. We receive the spirit of adoption, and we call God Abba, Daddy. At Victory Church, we will act on what we know to be true. We will act like we are God's favorite sons and daughters. We will make decisions based on the fact that he is taking care of every need we have. We will put our faith in the word of God and live in rest. People around us will be changed by the love of our Father overflowing from our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. And I just encourage you to take that with you and, and read that this week. Now, I want us to close with communion. And if you did not get a communion cup, would you just raise your hand for me? We're going to bring you one right now. Just keep your hands up as people come to you. And there's a couple of scriptures that I want to read to you about communion. And the first one is in Isaiah 53. Just keep your hands up. They're coming to you. So when I think about the bread... When we take communion, I always think about Isaiah 53, and it talks about Jesus. It says, in Isaiah 53, verse 4, it says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. So, church, he was wounded for our outward sins. And it says he was bruised for our iniquities. So even the things in our heart, not just the things that we've done, but the things that are in our heart that, we've, that, we, that are on the inside that maybe nobody knows about, Jesus paid for all of it. He paid for all of it. It says the chastisement or the payment for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes were healed. And so when I think about the bread, the, the bread represents the body of Jesus. He gave his body to be beaten and bruised and broken. The Bible says they, they beat him so much that he didn't even look like a man. But listen, he, he did that. He allowed his body to be broken so that your body could be whole. You say, well, Pastor, you're talking about when we go to heaven and we get new bodies and, we don't, and we're not sick anymore. Well, that's part of it, and, and that is the ultimate healing. But healing power is available today because as long as you're on this earth, God has a plan and purpose for you, and you're going to have to have strength and health, right? You can't do what he's called you to do if you don't have the strength and the health to do it. So healing is for today. And he loves us and he wants his children to be healthy so when I think about communion and I think about the bread I always think about asking God for healing because Jesus paid for it on the cross paid for it with his body which is what we remember with the bread and then 
in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Well, just let me explain condemnation to you for a minute. So, if, if you have accepted Jesus Christ, there is no judgment for your sin and no punishment for your sin. There is no condemnation for your sin. And when we drink the cup, we think about the blood of Jesus, how he poured his blood out for us. That's where the forgiveness is. That's where the power to forgive is. Church, listen to me. There is no, when it says there's no condemnation, there is no judgment for your sin. The only judgment as a believer that you're going to experience is the judgment of rewards where God tells you thank you. Because he doesn't see sin, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. No judgment, no punishment for sin, no condemnation. You say, well, why is Paul talking about that in in Romans 8? Well, listen to Romans 7, right before he says that. He says, for we know the law is spiritual. This is Romans 7, 14. We know the law is spiritual, but I'm carnal, sold under sin. For what I'm doing, I don't understand. For what I will to do, what, what I want to do, I don't practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree that the law is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform what is good I don't find. So Paul in chapter 7 is talking about this problem. He's in this struggle. I want to serve God. I want to do everything that's right, but I do things that I don't want to do. And he talks about feeling wretched. He talks about this battle going on the inside of him. And everybody in this room knows exactly what he's talking about. And then he gets to Romans 8.1 and he says, There is no condemnation for me because I'm in Christ Jesus. Even though I do things that I don't want to do, there's no judgment. There's no punishment because the blood of Jesus has washed me clean. And I'm 100% righteous in God's eyes. And so I just want to tell you this, you know, before we take communion, that we don't take communion to think back on our sins. We ask God to forgive us of our sins. But we don't take communion to feel guilty. We take communion as a celebration that we live without condemnation in our lives. And I would encourage you, you don't just have to wait until we take communion together at church. Take a handful of these packets with you. We'll buy some more. Okay, just take them with you. Take communion at home. Think about the blood of Jesus. Think about healing power. Talk to the Lord. So before we take it, will you bow your heads with me for just a minute? I just, just, just for a second, is there somebody in this room and you would say, Pastor, I'm not sure I'm right with God today. You're, you're talking about a relationship that I don't understand. You're talking about God as a father in a way that I've never experienced. There's only one way to walk into a relationship with God the Father. That's through the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross for you so that you could be a son or daughter. You don't have to serve that other father anymore, the devil that abuses people. You can be saved today. You can know God as your heavenly father. You just 
receive Jesus Christ. If that's you today, with every head bowed, I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I'm not going to ask you to stand. Everybody's going to keep their heads bowed, eyes closed. But if you'd say, that's me, Pastor, I want to receive Jesus today, would you slip your hand up and put it right back down? Just right now, just lift it up, put it right back down, and we're going to pray. Amen. Let's pray together, church. Just say this after me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die for me so I could be forgiven. Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me. Save me. I believe that God raised you from the dead. And I confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I take the, take the bread. Let me pray for it. <laughs> Let me pray for it. Sorry. Father, we thank you for the, the body of Jesus Christ given for us. And as we remember that today, we ask you for healing power in our bodies, strength in our bodies. God, thank you, Father. We're going to serve you. And we thank you for the body of Jesus broken for us. In Jesus' name, amen. get the cup. I'll pray over it. Father, thank you for the blood of Jesus Christ shed for us. And Lord, we, today, we declare there is no condemnation on our lives. We're 100% righteous, 100% in right standing with God our Father. And with confidence, God, we ask for your blessing. With confidence, we ask for forgiveness. With confidence, we ask for healing. And we thank you for, for, for forgiving us. Thank you for making us clean. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take the cup. Amen. Church, stand with me. Let's worship the Lord as we close.